ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next Podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Jordan Bobineau. He transitioned from nearly a decade playing in the NFL to become a sports broadcaster, entrepreneur, and business executive. He currently serves as the voice of the Seattle Seahawks on both television and radio and consults with organizations, teams, and leaders, helping them navigate their pivots. He's also the author of a new book, Pivot to Win, Make Big Plays in Life, Sports, and Business. And it's this book, which is the topic of our conversation today. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Gabriella, thanks thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. First, wow, your insights and suggestions are universal and your story is entirely personal and Honestly, it's moonshot level inspiring and also honest. You don't sugarcoat things or make things seem like they're a cakewalk. And I think in an advice book, I think it's really important to temper inspiration with reality. It's what helps readers manage their own expectations and ultimately be more successful. Uh, The forward of your book is written by your mom and you credit her with providing the philosophical foundation upon which you built your approach to, to life, you know, keep going, keep the faith, be a leader. And this philosophy is what you brought to your childhood goal of, of making it to the NFL. And now a lot of kids dream about being a professional athlete, but you did it. And so for listeners who aren't familiar with your story, can you set the stage and outline your path to the NFL, sort of the the view from 60,000 feet? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent, you know, nearly a decade in the NFL, uh, mostly with the Seahawks and finished my last two seasons with the Titans. You know, leaving the NFL, I I pivot into sports broadcasting, entrepreneurship, and a a journey of personal growth and development. And so in, in Pivot to Win, essentially, I compiled my life experiences from the past 30 years, which entails the secrets of developing a winning mindset to make it to the NFL after a Division II college football career, Uh, my experiences of growing up having faced racism and discrimination as a Black man in America, and of course, pivoting away from sports. But the underpinning of of the book is really to, to help other people. And that goal is to you know, elevate, empower people and companies to raise their performance personally and professionally. Now, I also think that in sharing those experiences and stories, where we are in the temperament of our country from uh, the, the social uh, unrest and uh, the many social injustice initiatives that are happening in the workplace is that there's also a light shed into this diversity, equity and inclusion uh, component in which you know many people uh, don't have those type of experiences in which I share. Right. Well, and it really is such a, a moving journey because you really did um, grow up and have have a challenge. You were in a challenging environment where you sundown towns, you know, and this wasn't in the 40s. This was you know, more recent. This is very real and concrete. And your book has a lot of great advice. And so one of the things I'd like to focus on is one of your metaphors, and I'd like to use it as sort of an organizing principle for how to approach the rest of our conversation. And that's the idea of the clock. 
and and to approach things like a clock. Can you explain what that means, what the clock means? Yeah. So um, I was just fascinated of how things worked. I share the story that there was this TV show called um, How It's Made. And I was just just wondering how, you know, how things actually you know, come about the process in which we see how products are, um, you know, created and and brought to the marketplace. And I had this idea of the clock and I wonder just, you know, how does this clock display the correct time? But this clock and, and, and how things work, it's incredible, right? Because inside of it, there's, you know, these many gears, different mechanism and that when one thing moves, uh, it influences the other. And I was, you know, just incredibly fascinated by it. I began to kind of apply that analogy both to sports life and in business and you know, when we think about it from a business side is that what are we doing on the marketing front that's uh, moving the dial in our sales or what are we doing in our um, onboarding process or our hiring practices that's uh, cultivating uh, a uh, a diverse culture. Um, and, you, and you start to realize that all of these components that we're doing, no matter where we are, you know, strengthening and building strong relationships and how does that support, you know, our, our income or our opportunities to create new income. And just this approach, this is just this approach of the gears and the mechanism of the clock. Um, you start to see how things work together. And part of that discovery became my approach to, um, you know, how I figured out how the NFL works and, you know, best ways to position myself to have success. And just that analogy alone, uh, I think just opened my eyes to understanding and seeing that everything has a bigger picture uh, than just one little dial of the activity that we're doing, but also having this greater impact of how it affects everything else. Right. I love, you know, every Everything is a system and it has interrelated parts. And to get to the end, you need to understand the, the system that, that supports it. Um, so, for example, getting to play for the NFL, that would maybe be one clock and you needed to understand the component parts to get there. But once you get to the NFL, actually being in the NFL, that's a different clock. Right. So is that the yeah. way to think about it? Um, oh, absolutely. And and then uh, just Gabriella, as a um, as an undrafted free agent, um, you know, coming from a division two college football career, um, you know, really, I was, a, you know, really wasn't an investment to the organization. Right. So clearly expendable and replaceable at, at any, you know, given time. So I had to understand that, OK, well, you're not a starter in the NFL, then you have to do more. Right. So what are the more things that you can do? So that's contributing on special teams. That's even sometime being a service person, you know, just giving a look for the offense. Right. But doing it, you know, doing it and creating it in a way where I'm also learning, like it wasn't just I'm just a, a standing bag that doesn't move. Right. I mean, I'm still trying to get better. I'm working on my footwork. I'm working on my eyes, my hand placement and all of those things. Um, and then even understanding how to be a professional. Right. You know, understanding that, you know, what I'm doing in the weight room or in the film room certainly affects my performance on the field. Yeah, it's really one of the most enlightening things for me was to understand what it meant to be in, in that role. Um, one of the other things that in terms of understanding the, let's again, the clock, making it to the NFL, let's dial back in time and, and you're trying to, to get in there. And one of the pieces of tactical advice that you offered was recognize, like recognize all of the things that you can pull on, all of the levers, all of the you know things you can reach out to. And 
you meeting with that NFL scout, um, how can you can you explain because you're at you're at a D2 school and and that was a real I saw that that was a real pivotal move that you proactively took. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, so the story I share is is meeting, uh, you know, someone who had that level of um, vision into recognizing talent at a college level and the potential that they may have to, you know, play at the next level. And, you know, here I was, you know, this, you know, kid at, at Southern Arkansas University, but totally driven and ambitious to achieve and break barriers and believe that it's possible. Like, <laughs> I would never forget sharing stories with my teammates. I'm like, it don't matter what college you play for, they'll find talent. And like a, can I just ask, how way. rare is it? I mean, because my impression was if you're in a D2 school, it is, it is actually a little bit of a challenge to even get seen. So is that unusual? I mean, that is unusual, isn't it? It's it's quite unusual. I think I, was, <laughs> I figured. I was, <laughs> let's let's talk about how amazing it is that you get this well, conversation in the first place. <laughs> well, it, I, I would say two parts. It's it's, a, it's probably more easy now because you know you know everything is accessible, right? So I mean, anyone can you know be a, a media star or a professional or provide content and share it with the world, and suddenly they have you know viewership greater than some digital channels, right? right? But right. But but, you know, in early 2000s, you know, prior to all of, you know, the advances in social media and technology, um, it was rare. And I, I think Gabriella and part of the reason in wanting to share my story and write this book was because when I was playing, I didn't really have a chance to stop and grasp the, grasp the things that I was doing. I felt like it was always looking ahead and kind of focusing on what's ahead and finding what that next, you know, chase and challenge would be to, to achieve the things that I wanted and envisioned for myself. And it wasn't until I, you know, um, you know, stopped playing professional ball and was, you know, pivoting away from the NFL and had time to reflect and look at the journey when I was blown away by myself. And I think that's part well, absolutely. of. I mean, it's almost like you codified it after the fact because you had this instinct to do the right thing, which a lot of people don't. I mean, just being honest here. I mean, you right. know, you recognized that you could reach out because you had you had met this scout previously, right? You had some contact with them in advance. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's correct. So so the scout just happened to be a member of the family. He was my uncle's father, and you know we didn't we didn't see him very often. But you know it doesn't take much for me, uh, Gabrielle. <laughs> you're not shy and like, retiring. If, if, <laughs> no, listen. If, if there's there's an inkling of a little seed of a droplet and possibility of something can be achieved. I'm going after it, you know, and and, you know, with 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 all intent to believe that it's mine. You know, I mean, it was it was, it was the reason I had the audacity to dream that I could, you know, be a division two college football player that made it into the NFL and became a starter right. and played in the Super Bowl. Like, Crazy. what is the audacity oh to, think, to think that you can achieve that? You know, and, and, and I hear this quite often and certainly, you know, have been guilty of it myself. It's like sometimes we can really uh, fascinate ourselves with the things that we do or the conversations that we have or the places that we end up so much that eventually, you know, we get to this place and it's like, you know, one, it's how did I get here? But two, there's this other component that says that, are you worthy of it? You know, I it's like, 
this imposter syndrome right. kind of it lives it lives in us all. But I was like, that wasn't my approach. It's like, you know, here I am and the biggest crowd. Look, I played in my high school in Texas football. We had more people at games than I did in my college career. Wow. <laughs> you know, you know. Texas football. I mean, we we could we would easily have you know twenty thousand fans at our high school football game, right? So I mean, so making a step it down the, to go D two. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I was I was I was just more so in you know um, you know happy with the fact that I could still play football and someone would pay me to go get a college education, like. That, that was fascinating to me. Well, what's amazing is so you recognize that you knew this guy and then he gave you some very specific advice that was was a bit of a, you know, challenge. But then you also then you leveraged your brother into and and how did you convince your brother to convince his coach to let you practice with them? Because your brother was at a D1 school, right? Right. So so my brother played 12 years with the Atlanta Falcons. He went to the University of Iowa. Now, if in, in the story, um, you'll read all throughout the book that here I am, young brother chasing the shadows of my older brother. But, you know, everything that he did, I wanted to do. And anything that he wanted to do, I wanted to do better. Right. <laughs> so, well, that's brothers, and, right? And, and, so, and so early on, you know, here we are as kids had this, you know, this uh, thrive for building and creating uh, competition within ourselves. And, you know, later it wasn't until we recognized that that was the competition that really pushed both of us to achieve, you know, the things that, you know, we, we, we had a chance to do Mm -hmm. and it's still there, you know, it was, (laughs) it was always, (laughs) you know, I made it to the NFL before he did, although I was undrafted and, and, and lived that rookie year on the bubble, you know, it's like, Oh, uh, you know, he can be cut. He gets drafted second round and then, you know, walks into a lot of money. Eventually, I, I you know, parlayed my uh, free agency in one year, uh, one year um, uh, contracts into, uh, you know, a three year deal with the Seahawks. And then so we went always went back and forth. But I look back in my childhood and say, you know, that was exactly what we did since kids. So here I am, you know, going into my senior year and, and here I, I have to figure out, like, what gives me the best opportunity to achieve that, Mm. you know, that ultimate goal of playing in the NFL. I need to figure out what this level of competition is at D1, because if the NFL is coming to pool from this, if this is their talent pool, where do I rank among, among these players? You've got to be able to compete there. Right. Right. So that's my, I knew that was my barometer, right? That's my gauge to know, you know, if the next level is something that I could, you know, really pursue. Right. And when right. I went to the University of Iowa after Coach Ferentz gave me the green, gave my brother the green light. Here I am sleeping on his couch. He and his roommate, um, you know, sleeping on their couch every day, going to work out with them, sometimes even getting an extra work. But I found out that I was just as strong. I was I was, if not stronger, I was just as fast, if not faster. And from a talent standpoint, I was like, easily I could play division one football, mm. but in playing division two, like you have to pop out, like you have right. to stand out, like you have to show that clearly show that you're the best player on the field. Right. And, um, you know, I was able to, uh, when I left Iowa, I, I certainly felt exuberated and, and as if I had, 
you know, certainly put myself in a position to showcase that. And, uh, you know, my senior year at Southern Arkansas, I went out, I, I made uh, a, all American as a, as a return specialist mm-hmm. um, on special teams uh, and made all American as a, as a defensive back. And um, also got to work out in front of 18 teams. And, you know, it was, I was blown away. Right. It really was, but, but also kept in the back of my mind, like you're here for a purpose. This chip on your shoulder is real. And, um, you know, no one's standing in the way of accomplishing what it is that you want. All I needed to do was just find a way into someone's training camp and the Seahawks were that team that gave me a chance to do that. Right. And what, what I think all of this sort of distills down to, and I think it's one of the most important things, and a lot of people actually skip it, and it's the idea of deciding. And you, from a very young age, had decided that you wanted in the NFL, and then you decided you wanted to be in these various situations. And why is being all in on a goal so important? I think it is, but what is it about being all in? What does that do? And I, I think that all in component is what is the only way. It's the only way that will satisfy us in a way to start to identify, again, let's go back to this clock metaphor of what dials to start to we to, to identify as the one that has the greatest impact, but also identify the ones that are, you know, uh, inner interrelated into the ones that are actually moving and we're pushing forward. So I think that on the journey to becoming what it is that we want, sometimes we don't realize the person that we actually become. Like I, I talk about, um, you know, persistence and perseverance uh, as, a, as a major key to accomplishing and building grit and developing resilience, right? So, and, and I'll break it down. Like persistence is this practice of chasing something that we desire, right? So we call it a goal. But I failed. We've all failed at something, right? But our shortcomings don't define us. I, I think sometimes when when you hear people talk about a growth and versus a fixed mindset, is the people who fail at something start to identify themselves as a failure. But the people with the growth mindset looks at those failures as new opportunities and ways to learn. Right. And so as part of this level of persistence, there's this first cousin called perseverance. Right. So perseverance, right? So so perseverance is you know, simply defined to me, I say, just keep going, don't stop. Right. I mean, so like a person will persist uh, by choosing a chosen path or way of life or plan to reach a certain destination. But that same person will have to persevere to overcome the obstacles and challenges in route to achieving that goal. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting. Oftentimes when a young person might reach out uh, about business, for instance, and they say, well, I just want to pick your brain. You really want them to have a a question because if they have a specific question, you can answer it, but these sort of vague things. So it's the issue of decide what you want to know, you know, decide what you want to achieve, decide what you want to approach. Um, And the focus allows other people to help you on that journey. And to your point, it helps you, that focus helps you persist and persevere because you know where the end is, you know, where you're headed. You can't hit a target. You don't really know deciding. I mean, it was obviously something you did so well. Jumping ahead, you know, one of the things you said is know that someone is always watching. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. about being paranoid, but really about a commitment to consistency. Can you explain how this sort of the penny drop, what was it that you saw that made you think, know someone is always watching, but then also how you applied it? 
Yeah. So it's, it's funny that, um, you know, once, once I got to the NFL, um, you know, you have at the complex, I mean, you have, you know, three grass fields or whatever, and, you know, what sits off uh, in a distance, you know, obviously are the headquarters, right? The offices (laughs) and these offices, I mean, yeah, they look great. I mean, nice glass windows, (laughs) (laughs) right? Well, it's, it's pretty nice. I'll say that. Um, But on the other side of those windows and, and here I was, I I didn't, I didn't get this until I went into coach's office (laughs) one, one day and um, I, I don't know what, what I was going for. Probably coach wanted to just tell me, like, you know, get it together uh, or else you're going to be cut. Right. So, so 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 I'll share with you. I've, I've always straddled this line of risk. Right. You know, it's like, you know, one wrong thing to get you sent home or, <laughs> you know, the, you want to take it out of here. Uh-huh. Uh, then you better stay away from the quarterback or, you know, you have to practice smart. Like you couldn't like Coach Holmgren was very particular about, you know, the amount of uh, physical, mm. um, you know, um, abuse that we or, or, or drills that we did, uh, you know, we we rarely practice tackling, mm. uh, you know, he was smart about keeping the team healthy. Right. I right. mean, at the, in the NFL, like you should know how to tackle. Right. 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 <laughs> and 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 so I go into these these big offices and, you know, from the outside, they're like mirrors. But on the inside, oh, man, they're two way mirrors. Right. Oh, <laughs> so they right. could only yeah. see out. And here I was. I was like, whoa, wow someone is they're always watching this binoculars and you know right. that sits you know at, at in the in the windows and you know they're always just examining and 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 you know that thought of you know you know knowing that no matter what you're doing someone is always watching right so um whether you're in between drills, you know, you know, or, you know, how you're interacting with your teammates or body language or temperament, mm-hmm. right? All of these things that, you know, that we have control over, right? Now, I can't control if the GM decides that, you know, I'm not good enough and they cut me. Look, it's happened to me twice. And then the third time it happened to me, you know, it was like, okay, well, it's time to go do something else, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to move into sports broadcasting. But, but it, but that wasn't what made or, push me to act a certain way. Like I always wanted to be on time. In fact, I was early. I always wanted to, you know, to be the leader, the first person in line, you know, the front runner, you know, the one who will step out and and go first, even if that meant I made a mistake, you know, right. Um, Like, like I was that audacious in the sense that, but also that confident and, you know, it was, it was staying, it was being early and staying late and working on those skills. And, and when I say someone is always watching, even as a parent, right? right. I, like when I first became a parent, I would watch my two-year-old daughter um, grab the remote control and point it at the TV. Like she didn't know, <laughs> right. like she didn't know what she was doing or, you know, but she, you know, she would, she would pick up, you know, that little, um, that notion from, from dad, it's like, okay, well, if I point this at the TV, something happens. And, you know, it's so it's, 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 it's as a human species, we live in this uh, monkey see monkey do culture or monkey see monkey do environment, right? It's not monkey. It's not monkey say monkey do. It's like, okay, well, you want to be the best leader, then you have to lead by example. Right. Because whether you say you have the one meeting where you talk about values, but if then you don't live them in your actions, those values won't hold water. Right. I mean, it's about, they won't. Right. It's about doing and and being, 
you know, one of the things I, I didn't understand, you've mentioned this and you talk about it in your book and you mentioned it during our conversation here was how tenuous the position many players are in. And you had to live with this constant level of stress that would undo many people. How do you manage holding that that risk? How do you, how do you, I mean, cast iron stomach? What, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess part of, part <laughs> yeah, of it is just, it was stressful. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, but you got to have this robot robotic type of uh, approach to it that, okay, well, that's, that's part of it. Right. And mm. it's kind of like performing under pressure. I, I like to tell people now, you know, now that I'm moving into the you know, this corporate space, it's, it's it's almost as if every day the owner of the organization or the CEO or your shareholders uh, look at your tape. In fact, they're watching all of your emails, your correspondence, you're tracking your sales, you know, volume and success and your success rate, your conversion rate. And at the end of the day, well, we get to decide whether you get to live another day, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So um, will you have a job tomorrow? Now, can you imagine how a company can build rapport with kind of having, you know, that level of, um, you know, you know, stress on, on the employees to perform? Or, you know, can you imagine that the company will, you know, move into this place that thrives and far exceeds, you know, you know, their their current numbers or, or metrics. What's interesting is, is that stress that you've just outlined that you were able to somehow separate and just keep powering through. And I guess the question is, is that, is, is managing the, the unknown, the, the unknown of, of whether or not you've got a job tomorrow because you are working so hard and, but they could cut you because of an, any number of reasons, is that just go to persistence and perseverance or was there another a thing that you did um, was yeah. to manage your just your stress level. Well, I, I think that it was more of a control what you can control, right? I see. And okay, I, I hear you know Navy SEALs kind of have this you know control your three foot circle type of approach to things in the middle of you know chaos when you know things are blowing up beside you and you know maybe fatalities are happening all around you and it's like well there's some things in stressful environments that you just can't control. It's out of your control. Right. right? And, but when focusing on that 10% that you can control, you're able, you're able to, in some way, in some way, predict the, predict the outcome. You know, for me, for me growing and becoming a pro, I had to develop a routine. Right. And, you know, this routine was, you know, not, you know, an all an all out recipe that would just guarantee success. I mean, I mean, you see it in sports all across, you know, like a golfer would take a pre shot routine or or a basketball player will, you know, before he takes a free throw goes through this routine of, you know, how many dribbles before he takes the shot. Now, again, I said it doesn't guarantee success, but it does. Ex- you know, you, you, you do expect the good things to happen in your routine. Right. I'll sh- I'll share I'll share this story with Kobe and I think would you know, would also help sum this up is that when you make a choice to say, uh, come hell or high water, I'm going to be this, then you should not be surprised when you are that. Right. Of course. There's a line in the book and it stopped me in my tracks. And it was the only certainty in professional sports is at some point, everyone is a former player. You don't know how or when you don't know if it'll be because of a cut an injury or retirement, but at some point, all current players will retire. And I wasn't ready. And I thought that is so universal, 
you know, because, yeah. because it's really emotional resilience, right? Um, mm-hmm. And circumstances, life circumstances change if we define ourselves with these external things. Was, was this aspect of, of your realization, you weren't ready. Did it take you a long time to work through, to process it? Yeah. So, you know, we're always pivoting, whether we realize it or not. Mm. And, you know, change is the one consistent in life. And certainly in the NFL, I mean, they're bringing in players every day. There's a draft every year, right? right? So teams are always trying to get better. That's something that you, you know, you step, either you step up to and you thrive in those moments or, you, you know, you crumble. Look, I, when I first got into the NFL, I remember being a rookie walking into the Seahawks locker room. And I saw my jersey. I saw all of my clothes. I mean, they hung my socks, you know, for goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, everything was just neatly hanging in the locker. And I walk over and find my find my jersey hanging up. And I just started touching the jersey, right? And here I am smiling from ear to ear. I even smelled the jersey. I'm like, wow, this is what it smells like to be in the NFL. And even though I was number 43 uh, in that rookie mini camp, you know, I didn't care. I was just happy to have a jersey. Right. I looked down and I saw a note in my locker and it was from the equipment manager and it said, you know, come see the equipment manager to get fitted for your gear. Here I am making my way down to the equipment manager office and um, getting fitted for my shoulder pads and getting my helmet. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, you know, this is what it's like to be in the National Football League. Right. And then the, the, the equipment manager looked at me and he smacked me on top of the helmet and said, hey, Rook, the NFL stands for not for long. Get your damn head out of the clouds. And I was like. Wow. wow. I was like, wow. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna bump you down there. Wow. You know, and 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 here I am now having to pivot away from the NFL, having played nearly a decade when, you know, putting on a jersey, making big plays, or tackling Tony Romo before running into the end zone was no longer success for me. You know, and right. so I had to I had to uh accept that. And I think the first step into you know, into change is creating what our, I mean, is, is accepting what our new reality is. Because when we mm. experience change, there's loss, loss of identity, loss of confidence at times, loss of friends, relationships. But for me, change was the catalyst for growth. It was an opportunity to grow uh, personally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And I think that's a different outlet in looking at change rather than you know, what it is right. that we actually lost. If we're looking at, you know, opportunities and what it is that we That's actually what we gaining, yeah. then we'll see that this change is actually beneficial uh, to making the change and accepting what what is. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Your journey, and it is a journey, is an inspirational one. You've created also a really readable, engaging, and useful book. We're going to have a click to purchase link in the podcast webpage. Thank you so much for your time. Gabriella, thanks for having me. And for all your listeners, I'm, you know, they want to uh, engage on social media. I'm Jordan Babineau across all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And, um, you know, for those who want more interest, there's a free chapter download. Uh, on the website pivot to win and uh, I look forward to uh, future chats and hearing about how everyone is pivoting in their own life we've reached the end of another episode of up next I'd like to close by thanking my production team at up next my friend Rob Naughton the voice artist who recorded our open and of course all of you the members of our audience thank you I'll be talking to you again next time right here on up next